Our sponsor today is Green Ronin Publishing. Green Ronin is a Seattle-based company dedicated to the art of great role-playing games. Since the year 2000, Green Ronin has established a reputation for quality and innovation that is second to none. If you're looking for exciting fantasy, look no further than Fantasy Age, where your heroic stunting can create the difference between a cinematic battle and a mundane encounter. Have a need to strap on a cape and fight the forces of evil? They do mutants and masterminds. Also available, the Expanse role-playing game based upon the hit book series. Green Ronin Publishing creates role-playing games, card games, and fiction for the very best in role-playing games and to forge your own path. Choose Green Ronin Publishing and become your own master. Find them at greenronin.com on all social media at Green Ronin Pub and wherever role-playing games are sold. And now, be sure to log in to GreenRoninStore.com. Using our affiliation code of GKHERO, you can save 5% off your total purchase of over 100 fantastic items, including role-playing games, card games, fiction, and much, much more. At GreenRoninStore.com. Use our affiliation code GKHERO to start your journey today. Brought to you by the power of the internet and fueled by imagination, this is Game Night Heroes. We toss dice and tell stories. The deeds of heroes await, and legends dare to be heard. This is Game Night Heroes. Hello, and welcome back to Game Night Heroes. We are the Game Night Heroes, and you can be too. We are an actual tabletop role-playing podcast of five friends who play, as we said, tabletop role-playing games. Today, we are going to tell a collaborative story. And the outcome of that story will be determined by dice rolling. So, before we get too much into our journey here, I'd like to introduce my fellow players. Hey everybody, welcome back. Name's Rob, I'll be playing Victor Reed. And I'm Colleen, I'm playing Iridanza. I am Aaron, and I am playing Arden for the very first time. Oh, I haven't been playing him before. I don't know who that person was, but. Well, I hope it goes well for you. Um, oh, yeah, we had you. a minor recasting. So here you are. So. <laughs> and I'm Brittany and I'm playing Nisha. And I, of course, am Kevin. I play as the dungeon master for this specific game. And that means that I get to play as everyone and everything else. So let us dive back into a continuing saga of the city of Freeport. Previously on Game Night Heroes. After being brought together in the city of Freeport, after arriving under very different reasons, our four heroes formed a small-knit group. And in that time, they thwarted the dangers in the city of Freeport and faced many obstacles. 
They became allies to the Temple of Knowledge within the city, saving one of their member from near death. Some time has passed since they have struggled against the darkness of Freeport, and in that time they have attempted to move on with their personal goals. Victor Reed has found himself investigating the strange trinket upon his longsword, the source of his magical capabilities. Iridanza Orame looks into the best way to save her people, the Sea Elves, from near and constant attacks from strange serpent folk that threaten the city even now. Arden Langolar looks for his next source of information for the wild magic that burns within his soul. And Nisha Lekwania is on a personal quest for vengeance to eliminate the man who brought pain and misery to her family. These four heroes have continued to find themselves in the city of Freeport and await the next steps that will take them to their goals. Our tale now resumes. It is midsummer in the city of Freeport, and the afternoon sun beams down hot and balm across the brow of the workers on the small island to the south of Freeport's harbor. One such worker finds himself sweating extra profusely in the afternoon heat. In the nearly one decade since the beginning of the construction of the facade of which he now worked, scraping trowel after trowel of mortar onto the brick, laying layer upon layer upon the sweat of his brow, the blood of his fingers, the cramp of his back. The man knows that Milton's folly has certainly earned its name through one source or another. As he lays another scoopful of the mortar, spreads it thickly, taps it once and twice again to make sure that it is even beneath the bricks specially carved for just this purpose. His thoughts drifted back to a simpler time before he was called upon and conscripted to work upon this new construction. When the previous sea lord of Freeport, one Anton Drack, seemed to be cut from the same cloth as his illustrious ancestor, the man was able to undo the damages caused by his previous sea lord's reign, and during that time Freeport truly prospered. Anton Drack had been a good man. He would not have wasted the time, the effort, and the money on such a thing as a show of a lighthouse in an island that was deemed inaccessible for common folk. The man scooped another trowel, placed another brick, and with it he continued to build the dreams of the current sea lord, Milton Drack. Drack had come to his position in a bit of a fortuitous accident. Towards the end of a winter, nine years ago, as the sea lord Drack was inspecting a fleet on the docks, it was reported that a single yellow-fletched arrow had flown from the crow's nest of an anchored ship, piercing the sea lord Anton's chest. Typically, a wound of this nature would not have been enough to fell such a great and strong man, but the arrow was later deemed to be enchanted with lethal magics that slayed the man. Even those in the temples were not able to save him. Anton had died on the spot, leaving the Freeport without a sea lord for the first time in two hundred years. Milton Drack had stepped onto the stage of history. He was a distant cousin of Anton, to be sure, but he did appear from nowhere, and his plans for the city were quite grand. 
Another brick went upon the layer, forming the front façade. The man wiped his brow, the sweat stinging his eyes. They were young once, as were his dreams. But all things grow old and die and wither in a city like Freeport, even those that are well-meaning. As the man reached for another brick, his hand slipped, and he knocked the pile upon the floor. A nearby worker gave him a look of disapproving dissatisfaction. Things like this were not to be tolerated under the new sea lord's watchful gaze. And the man looked down upon the foreman to make sure that he had not been discovered. Luckily, the dropping of the bricks was overlooked. As he began to recollect his supplies, he noted that one of the bricks had fallen. A crack formed in its side. Inspecting it to be sure that he had not wasted yet more of the city's money, he noted a strange amber light emerged from within. Looking upon it, the man swore that something moved in that light. He took the brick, inspected it further, drawing it ever closer to his old withering eyes. And as he did so, he saw something else within. The hot afternoon balmy sun fell away into dark, cold recesses. He could feel his breath freezing in the afternoon air. Around him, the light seemed to fall away, and shadowy tendrils rose up from the ground, spreading all around him. He knew, as he began to look around and saw the light fall away to bathe him in darkness, that he was not alone. In the dark, he knew, something waited. The man turned, stood, and walked to the edge. He looked out over the crewmen below. He looked out over the harbor, in the small mile-and-a-half distance between Twick and the Freeport Harbor, a city where he had lived his entire life, a city where he had raised a family, had sailed in the Great Raid, and had once fallen in love, married, and lost. Without a look back, the man pulled his hands up to his eyes, and the last thing that they would see would be that strange dark abyss and the unknown form within that watched him even now. He took a step forward, and he fell away. And then he knew nothing else. Above him, the glow of the brick subsided briefly. The man next to him turned, picked it up, and continued to build. He had not even noticed that the other man had stopped. Further to the north, our attention is drawn into the city of Freeport itself. On this specific afternoon, the city continues to bustle with the commotion that is typical of this pirate city on the edge. As we follow different citizens as they begin to make their journeys about, our view gets drawn to a single small building nestled between two larger buildings. A typical passerby would miss Falthar's curios, but not us. Our attention is brought within where we find a familiar half-elf busy at work. Victor, what are you up to right now, working at Falthar's Curios? Busy doing stacking, inventory. Currently, you have a small crate of some lesser potions. You are placing them upon a shelf. 
Nearby, there is a familiar young lass, a human with golden red hair and a warm smile, who bounces up next to you. Well, are we up for another lesson again tonight, Victor? Her smile goes wide. Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, we can get to that faster if you help me finish stacking this stuff. Oh, you're no fun, she says with a little bit of a smirk. That was a good sort. Victor, in the nearly five days since Swagfest, which was two weeks after that you met Falthar and worked up your deal to become a part of his employ, you have worked some time with Nell and developed a little bit of a friendship with her. She is an aspiring bard, and you've given her more than a few lessons on a few different instruments that you are familiar with. She's got a great singing voice, and she tends to stick with that. She does reluctantly begin to help you put the vials onto the shelf. In the back room, Falthar continues to pore over the books and the research of the information that he is trying to glean. He's spent every day since you were in the employ actively researching the trinket, a Ouroboros of two intertwined serpents, one a dark pewter, the other a bright polished platinum, that adorned the hilt of your longsword. You know that the specific trinket gives you abilities that other people don't possess. Have you told Falthar that sword gives you your magical capabilities, Victor? No. In the small bit of information that he's been able to glean in those days, he has told you, much as you suspected, that the blade trinket does have a way of somehow amplifying magical powers. And for some reason, he's done tests on it, and he's actually even wielded it once or twice, you've noticed. But no magical capabilities came to him during that time. It would seem the blade chose its master and likes you and you alone. It's just the way you like it. The front door of the shop opens, and an individual steps within. The individual who steps in is a man, but rather peculiar-looking. He's very tall, wide-shouldered, and he does have a maroon color to his skin. Two horns do emerge from his forehead and curl up around the beret that he wears. He is dressed as an individual that you would know as someone who is one of the city guardsmen. And this individual looks about the establishment. If I may, I wish to speak with the owner of this establishment. Is Falthar here? He asks the two of you. I believe he is. I, I think he might be in the back. He might be busy with something, though. I would prefer that you tell him to come out immediately. I have urgent business. And then he just looks at you rather impatiently. Very well. Wait here. Uh, feel free to look around the shop. I'm going to go back to where he is in the back part of the shop and see maybe how he wants to handle things. Absolutely. You emerge into the back room of Falthar does his research. He has several books in front of him. He's currently pouring through one, and he's reading something and cross-checking it into another book. He has the sword, your sword, splayed out in front of him in the center of the table. There are a couple of small sensors around it that are burning incense. He looks up when you come in. Yes. Sorry to bother you, boss. There's a, looks like a city guardsman at the door, and he seems very impatient and wants to speak with you. Is there something that I should know about, or a certain way you want me to handle this? He takes off his glasses, and he sets them upon the table, and then he stands up slowly, and he begins to move past you. He looks out, and his eyes narrow slightly almost as if he recognizes the individual and he's not too pleased to see him. 
and then he steps out into the main area of the shop, with you following close behind. When the two of you emerge back into the main floor of the shop, you can see that Nell is actually leaning against the counter, and she's laying on a little bit more sugar than probably is necessary to talk with a guardsman. As soon as the individual standing there sees Falthar, he brusquely moves right past Nell. He crosses to the front of the counter. Falthar, I assume. Yes, what is this about? Falthar says. I am Reichert Lloyd. I am a guardsman here within the city. I'm doing a routine check into some of the local businesses here. There was a bit of a concern that we had a few weeks ago. Is that so? Falthar says. Yes. There's a brief pause between the two of them. It's very uncomfortable. Several weeks ago, there was an attack within the city, and several city guardsmen were injured. There was also some pirates who were murdered the next day, as well as some other nefarious things that might have happened all nearby. You haven't perhaps noticed any strange individuals within the city as of late, people who may be causing a bit of a concern. And his eyes do dart to you and to Nell, as if to just take you guys in, and then back to Falthar. I know nothing of which you speak, Falthar says. I do not associate myself with any sort of people like that. I am a man who is interested in knowledge and of items, not of tomfoolery and of criminals. There's a brief pause again, and then Reichert Lloyd evenly says, Very well. And he takes a piece of paper off of his belt and he lays it down on the table. You see that it is a writ of some sort, and he says, be sure that you let me know if there's anything that I need to be aware of. That is all. About your day, citizen. And he turns and begins to leave. He does glance at you one more time, Victor, before he leaves. I say to him when he turns, thanks for visiting, and make a big smirk at him. Excellent. Then he does go outside. Nell goes, very handsome, but I'm not entirely sure if that personality doesn't need some uptuning. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the straight and narrow isn't very much your type, is it, now? She says, wouldn't you like to know? It bounces out of the back room to get something else to stock. There's a pause, and you can see Falthar just looks at the front door as Riker Lloyd leaves, and then he says, without turning to you, I believe there's been enough research of your duties today. If you would be so kind, we will meet again tomorrow. Very well. And he turns and he moves his way back into the back room. Across town slightly, at the Scholar's Quill, our attention is drawn to the main common room there. A small halfling sits at a table, and he's partaking of the food. Arden, what exactly are you eating right now? Fish and fruit. Weird combination, but gotta try everything. Yeah, you are partaking in this food, and Desi, the proprietor of the Scholar's Quill, who you guys now have a relationship with, you guys rented out some rooms here and haven't really left yet. She hasn't really caused any problems with that. She seems to like you guys. You especially. You have been talking about food pretty much every day. And she does have many different recipes for you to try. She approaches you and she does have a platter of some pastries that she just freshly baked. You can still see the steam rolling off the top of them. Oh, yes, please. She places them down in front of you, and with a little bit of a smile, she turns and dances out of the room. 
and you partake in some of the delicious pastries, and there is nothing in this world that could potentially cause a problem now. Upstairs of the Scholar's Quill, our attention is drawn to a very finely furnished room. A four-poster bed, as well as a small bureau, a writing desk, and we would notice a few other adornments that have been added since the last time we've been here. The mood of the room, however, is not as jovial as the decoration. There is an awkward, tense silence between the blue-skinned sea elf and the fuchsia-haired wood elf as they stand across from one another in the room. So, Iridanza, you mentioned down by the docks that your contact in the city is named Gavin. Yes, he's actually my father's contact. He sent me to find him. Interesting. You said that you've you've met him and talked with him before, correct? Yes. How long has it been since you last talked with him? Well, it was probably about three weeks ago. Okay. How has he been with you? A pain. He's not helpful, practically useless. Yeah. I can't say I'm all that surprised by that. Do you know him? Yeah. He, um... Used to work with my father. Oh, I see we have that in common. He killed my father. Oh. He murdered him when they were stealing something together and he double-crossed him. And I'm actually here to find Gavin to uh, put things to rights, shall we say. I see. And I've gotten recent news that Gavin has been viewing himself as some sort of criminal lord around here and that he has been working with someone to smuggle in shipments of things. Not sure what things he's smuggling in or anything like that, but he's up to no good. So I would definitely recommend that you take everything he says with a grain of salt and watch your back with him. I was getting that sense myself. He has not followed through on any of his promises, and I have zero trust in him. What has he promised you? An artifact that amplifies magic. It's to protect my people from the serpents. The serpents are after us. They're trying to destroy us. They have been for centuries. And this was supposed to finally help us. And he was supposed to have it, and he did not. Nor can he tell me what it even looks like. Instead, he wanted to send me to the shipping lane to find a stained chest with a three-pronged design on it. He's been less than helpful. In all honesty, because he is a thief, he'd probably try and steal that item for himself. Or at least that's what I know of him in my past experiences. He only thinks of himself first. I'm getting that sense. He's already been paid, and he could care less if I receive what he was paid for. I'd love to meet with him and talk with him. Do you have any way that you might be able to get in contact with him? I think I do. I last saw him at the Black Gull. From what I understand, he goes there regularly. It's a pub near the docks. 
It looks like it attracts the lowest of lowlifes. Sounds like his kind of place. Have you told him anything about us? Or more specifically, me? I have told him nothing of any of you. All I have spoken to him about was I had a delay, and that's why it took me so long to meet him. Not that it mattered, since he didn't have what I needed. Well, thank goodness for that, then. (laughs) I would hate for him to know that I'm here. Of course, he probably already does know I'm here in some way. Well, what are we going to do about that? Passador told you that Gavin specifically has factored himself as a bit of a criminal underlord of the city here, and that specifically he is working on some sort of big grift with an individual in the town, a guy named Verlaine. Verlaine is actually a member of the Captain's Council, which is one of the two ruling bodies of Freeport. Freeport is currently ruled over by a sea lord, Milton Drack, who is the newest of a long line of that same family name that have ruled over Freeport for almost 200 years now. Although the sea lord rules the city, the captain's council manages all the different day-to-day things. They each have a section of the city that they are in charge of, that they maintain things within. They handle the trade and the goods and the different squabbles that might happen. And this Verlaine is actually the head of the captain's council. So he's pretty high up there in terms of the power structure of the city. And Passor would have also told you that Verlaine, before he was a councilman, he was in shipping. He owns this shipping warehouse called the Arkham Shipping Lanes. And that he also has a city guardsman that is his personal guardsman that is on the take. And his name is Reichert Lloyd. Yeah. Yeah. So specifically how it factors into what's going on here is that you would know that Gavin is working with Verlaine on some sort of thing here within the city. But Passlord did not know any information about that, and you haven't met with him since. Right. So that might be something then that we want to do as a group is go investigate the shipping lanes. Which, Iridanza, did you find that box that had the Triton on it or no? Not yet. I was told it's in the Arkham shipping lanes. Well, that's where it sounds like it should be a good place to go. So coming to an agreement... The two elves share a bit of a knowing smile with one another. Back downstairs, Arden, you are thoroughly stuffed from all these pastries that you have eaten. How many of these pastries do you think you would have tried to eat? Well, to be realistic, I can eat a lot of food, as Robin Colleen will vouch. (laughs) Fair, okay. (laughs) So we're just going to go with about... I don't know, probably about 40 of them. 40 of them? Yeah, that's that's not too far off. All right, so Arden, I would like, if you don't mind, please make a constitution saving throw. That is an 18. 18. Arden, you are feeling very stuffed from all of these pastries, but you can hold your own. You're not too worried about it. You do know you probably won't be able to have too many more, though. Because you just got a little bit of a little belly that can only hold so much. As you sit there, Arden, and bask in the glory of all this beautiful food in front of you, an individual walks through the front door of the Scholar's Quill. And you recognize him almost immediately, although you can tell you've never met him. He has long, foppish hair that hangs around by his shoulders. It is a drab brown color. And he has these blue robes on that are the color of the sky. So And he looks about the room, 
and he sees you sitting there and he crosses directly to your table. Um, I believe that you are the one that they call Arden Langolar. Are you not? He says. Uh, no, 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 that that's not me. He, he's some other halfling. He looks at you and he says, oh, well, um, all right. I believe that must be my mistake then. Forgive me. And he crosses away from you. He goes to walk out the door and he looks back to you, Arden, and just gives you a nod as if to say sorry. And he turns and as he's about to go to the front door, Victor, you step right through the front door and almost collide with this individual. Sorry. And I like pass through. Arden, did you eat all the food or did you leave something for me? You son of a... And the guy stops halfway through the door, and he slowly turns back to look into the foyer, and he sees, Victor, that you're standing there across the table from Arden. He steps in. Well, if this is some sort of jest, I don't believe I understand it. Are you or are you not Arden Langolar? That depends on if I want to talk to you right now, which I don't. Pastry? Um, no, thank you. He looks to you, Victor. You wouldn't by chance be Victor Reed, would you? Who's asking? My name is Barnabas. I'm a member of the Temple of Knowledge. I was sent here on behalf of Theron to collect you and Arden Langolar and two others, a Nisha Lagoania and a Iridanza Orame. Am I correct in believing that you are they? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm Victor Reed. Is this super urgent? Well, that is confirmation enough for me. Here, and he hands you a small rolled up parchment. He starts to go back to the door again and he stops, reaches for it, pulls one of the pastries off that tray, and then he turns and goes out the front door with it. Uh, open it and read it. You open up the parchment and you find that it says, Well met, please forgive my absence in meeting with you directly. I do believe that prudence is the higher point of valor in this information, and I believe that I would like to speak with you post-haste. I would prefer if you could meet me at the Temple of Knowledge, as it is a place where I may find refuge for you and for your allies. Please know that Brother Egil has spoken very highly of the four of you and your capabilities, and I wish to ask for your help in a manner regarding the safety and the trials of the Temple of Knowledge. Signed, Theron. Well, this seems pretty important. As you get done reading that and you turn back to say that towards Arden, you see that Iridanza and Nisha are coming down the stairs and entering into the foyer as well. Uh, Nisha and Iridanza, perfect timing. Come sit. What did we miss? Some monk from the temple came by. He gave me this letter. Basically what it's saying is Theron wants to meet with us. Hmm, I wonder what he wants. You guys all recall that Theron is the high priest of the Temple of Knowledge. Before, when you guys were looking into trying to find out what happened with Lucius, you guys were denied a meeting with him when you guys had requested it. But you suspect that a lot of that had to do with Milos being a secret serpent cult person that was trying to hamper your investigation. Hopefully Theron's not a a secret cultist person. <laughs> That's why I didn't want to go see him. Well, I think we should go see him now and figure it out for ourselves. So, at this point, it is dinner time. It's, say, six o'clock in the evening. He didn't say anything in the letter about time. It was just like, as soon as possible? 
Yeah, it basically implied as soon as you guys are able. They didn't have a specific time, no. Why don't we all eat together, and then we'll head out after we eat? Although, I don't know, looking at this plate, I assume Arden ate pretty much everything Desi has in here. <laughs> oh, not everything, dear, Desi says as she emerges from the back room with a couple of new trays of some delicious food. You can smell the roasted succulent turkeys and ducks, uh, some fish, vegetables, even a small cake that she's brought out as well. And the four of you sit down at the table in the foyer and begin to enjoy your dinner together. I would like to talk about how and why Victor's a dum-dum. <laughs> oh my how God. and why I'm a dum-dum? <laughs> yes. Whatever do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> First off, he's stinky. If you haven't noticed. Keeps them feet in his shoes all day and they get real nasty smelling. You guys continue your jovial tone with one another over the course of dinner. And after you guys are all sated, you guys decide to make the trek over to the Temple of Knowledge. When you guys get to the Temple of Knowledge, you come up to the exterior courtyard where there is a large fountain and several columns. You look around and you can see this little square in the middle of the temple district that there is all the different statues to the different gods and goddesses that make up the pantheon of this world, all arraigned around it with the fountain in the center. You guys make your way over to the front entryway of the Temple of Knowledge, this large, impressive building. And as you guys approach, you see that the doors, although not completely closed, are about halfway closed, not completely open as they would be during the day when you guys were here before. You enter into the front foyer area and you do see that there is that same front desk where people who are coming to be visitors would enter and would announce themselves. And as you do so, you see that there is a young man sitting behind it that you guys all recognize. Um... Hello, everyone, he says with his crackling voice brought on by puberty. Uh, Norton, my man. Well, hey, we're uh, here to see Theron. I've got this paper here. He looks up at you and then he takes the missive and he reads it over briefly. Oh, yes, of course. This looks like it's in order. Um, if you would follow me, please. And he stands up from behind the desk and he begins to make his way across you guys pass into this area with its large mosaic floor, its very tall vaulted frescoed ceilings. You can still see the two large statues of the wizened old man on the other side of the room to the north. There are normally giant massive lanterns that are behind each one of these statues that illuminate the entire foyer area. But right now they are dimmed to barely being lit. Norton leads you guys across the room, and he leads you to a small room that is to the upper left corner of the temple. And the door is closed. It is a deep, rich blue color. And when he steps up, he knocks on it. And there is a voice from within, come in. And he opens the door, and he motions for you guys to enter within. As the four of you begin to step into the room, the first thing that you notice is that there are two figures in this room. One you recognize immediately. The sheepish and concerned form of Brother Egil is not hard to miss. He looks like he hasn't been sleeping well because his hair is all ruffled up and his eyes are puffy, almost as if he's been upset. Maybe he's tired or maybe he's been weeping. You're not sure. 
he does have a bit of a haggard look to him for sure. He's sitting in a chair that is across a desk. And the other man who's in the room is the exact opposite of Egil. He's very tall, almost majestic looking. He has very silvery colored coiffed hair that is very specific, very articulate. And he is very clean shaven. His robes are very deep blue, and he has a stole that he wears around his neck that hangs down over to the front that almost looks like a bunch of little golden books all connected with chain. He stands up as you enter the room. Ah, yes. Welcome. I'm Theron. Please enter within. And he motions for you all to sit in four chairs that have been set up next to Egil, which pretty much fills up the entire room. You guys look about the room, and it's definitely an office. There are books on a good majority of the walls here, on several bookshelves. But there's also a small globe sitting on one, as well as another one that has a statue that looks very similar to the two large wizened old men statues found in the atrium that you just passed through. Arden, you remember with your background of knowing a lot about religions that this is Biblius, the god of knowledge. You don't know too much more about their faith, unless you want to make another roll to know anything about him. Yeah, might as well do one. Sure. I will roll. And the 17. 17, absolutely. You know that the Temple of Knowledge is concerned first and foremost with gaining information and knowledge, and that they believe that knowledge is a source of power in and of itself. There is a saying within the Temple of Knowledge that as many wars have been won with good ideas as with bad soldiers. So you know that they prize knowledge and information above all things. And this has really been exemplified by the way that you've seen that they've dealt with you guys in the past. When you guys were trying to find Lucius, for example, you discovered through his journal entries that they were not too interested in helping him at all. They just really more wanted the information that he gleaned in his time traveling away from Freeport. So you would guess this makes them a little bit of a cold religion, although not cold in a evil manner, just cold in terms of they don't have time for base things, as they would think of it. But you do know that Biblius, the god himself, is known to be a very just and neutral deity who is very much concerned with just observing the world and taking it all in. Egil begins to stand. Oh, hello, my friends. It's good to see you again. And Theron just actually puts a hand up and it stops Egil. Egil just kind of slowly sits back down. Good to see you too, Egil. We'll have a seat. So you called us here, Theron. Yes, indeed I did. I wanted to make myself very known to you. In the past, I have been rather lax with the way I have dealt with you. It was only after Lucius was returned to our temple that I learned that Egil had hired you to make sure that he was recovered. You will have to forgive me. I was not entirely aware of the danger that was posed to him. Had I known that a member of my clergy or its librarian staff were in such dangers, I would not have tried to go against your investigations. It would seem that I put my faith in the wrong individual by trusting Milos and his judgment. Forgive me. He bows his head for a moment. Arden, make another religion check if you could. I'll give you advantage on this one because you're kind of already got information about how this religion works. Okay. Got a 16 with that one. Perfect. A 16. 
he is bowing his head like this. This is a manner of how this specific religion would apologize. Basically, he is acting subservient to all of you for a brief moment to allow you to have the quote-unquote upper hand in your dealings in this specific moment. And after a moment, he raises his head. Now, I wish to thank you for what you have done for the temple so far, and I want to let you know that had it not been for your investigations, I would not have known that Milos was dealing in such horrible betrayals. And for that, I am thankful. The faith is thankful. I would perhaps offer you a reward, but I was told that Egil already accomplished that. Perhaps you should pay Egil back for the amount of effort he put into making sure that we did so. I would love to do such a thing. However, our order is an order that takes a vow of poverty, and we do not exactly have extra coin lying around. Any sort of donations that we get are put back within the stacks. All the money that we get is put into purchasing new books and tomes so that we may further our knowledge. But I did not bring you here to discuss the finer points of the Temple of Knowledge's faith. I brought you here because, unfortunately, I believe that we are in need of your help again. He looks to Egil and he says, If you would be so kind, Brother Egil, tell them the tale that you told me last night. Egil takes a nervous glance around the room, and he says, Um, well, I'm afraid that, um, I feel the troubles that I put you guys upon recently are not over, my friends. It would seem that getting Lucius back was just the beginning of our problems. What do you mean? Well, things, uh... And he looks to Theron one more time, and Theron just steeps his fingers in front of his face and just gives a slow nod, as if to say, continue. And Egil says, things have um, been happening. <laughs> I'm not sure if I could be any more specific than that. Uh, but over the past couple of weeks, I've been sensing a change of sorts in the atmosphere. Uh, I've lived here in Freeport all of my life, and... Now the city feels strange to me. The street seems full of eyes, but not faces. I notice movements in the limit of my vision. I see shapes at the window when I am alone in a room. I hear footfalls behind me on the street, but when I turn, I see nothing. Perhaps it's only my nerves, but I could almost believe that. But then there was the intruder. An intruder? Yes, uh, I was with Lucius when I saw it. Lucius has been, and he looks to you, Victor, and he says, well, it's been difficult for him to readjust. I'm sure you understand. Yes. And he turns to the rest of you. First his possession, and then the kidnapping. Uh, we try to make him as comfortable as possible, but there are some things beyond even our prayers. For days, he's been collapsing at his desk. He becomes feverish and just faints dead away. One of us always takes him home after such a spell, and last night it was my turn. I took him back to his home, and I laid him on his cot, and I sat down to catch my breath. I closed my eyes for just a moment, then all of a sudden, 
I was awake. It was the middle of the night. I, I started to stir, but some strange instinct told me not to. I sat with my eyes half open, waiting for them to adjust to the dark. I felt its presence before I saw it. A patch of dark gliding across the room like the shadow of a cloud. I was too terrified to even breathe. What air I could force down carried a curious odor. Something clean, but dense. Something like water on rocks. Cold, mossy caves. And he looks to you, Iridanza, and he says, Something like a serpent. I, I watched the figure move about the room. It poked through some drawers. It examined some books. I couldn't imagine what it wanted to steal, but eventually it found what it was looking for. A long roll of parchment that I had forgotten about in my cleaning. It stashed this in the folds of its cape and it left as silently as it had come. I... I can't bring myself to tell Lucius. I fear it may destroy what's left of his sanity. I'm also afraid for myself and for the city itself. I don't believe... He looks at Theron again. I'm sorry, they must know. Theron unsteeples his fingers and lays his hands flat on the desk. You may speak plain, Brother Egil. Egil says... I don't think the council is really cleaning out the caverns beneath the city as they claimed. How could they miss something like that? I suspect that there's something sinister at work here, more than mere carelessness. Milos lived among us far too long in a false shape. He convinced my entire order that he was a dedicated worker, not to mention a human. Who knows how many other forms he took, how many other people he deceived. And who knows how many others of his kind are here now amongst us. We're not a militant order. We don't have the wherewithal to look into this ourselves, but I can't rest knowing that it's not over, that whatever it was that took Lucius is still out there. What if it tries to take him again? And with this, Theron speaks. I don't have the wherewithal to send our clergy out to investigate or to combat the darkness that might be threatening the city. But I would like to engage your services once again to find out the real situation at the Serpent Temple and to uncover just what kind of inroads Milos made in this town. I have been told the full extent of your investigations from Egil, and I know that you are quick and decisive. And I would like this dealt with as soon as possible. What say you? Sounds like it aligns pretty well with what we were already planning on doing, so I don't really have a problem with that. Agreed. It appears I am in your death of good attitude once again. Thank you. I will aid you in whatever way I can. As I said, I do not have a lot of funds. He glances at Egil again. I was able to acquire some funding. And I can offer each of you 115 gold pieces, plus your expenses that you may need for this journey, if you could have this resolved. We'll do the best that we can. Very well. Arden, standing there listening to 
Diron talk has gone pale. White as a ghost, or as, you know, pale you can get in this type of climate. It's really sunny out. That's true. <laughs> Just thinking about how anybody could be a snake person in disguise. Any tall person, at least. He's a little too small, so no halflings or gnomes. But is it Victor? Is it Nisha? Iridanza? She's been acting kind of, I don't know, weird. Real mean lately, too. He slowly starts to back up a little bit. Do not be afraid, small friend, Theron says. We will give you whatever aid that we can. And I even have, perhaps, a lead I could give you to start you on your journey. That would definitely be helpful. Through some quiet inquiries, I have learned that Milos, under an assumed identity, of course, rented some rooms in an inn in the Olden City. I do not know the name of the inn, however, but I do know that his alter ego was known as Devlin and that he posed as a struggling merchant. Hopefully this will be enough for you to begin your investigations proper. It's definitely a point for us to start. Eugel, you said that figure that broke into Lucius's house stole a parchment of paper. What was on that parchment? I don't actually know, to be honest. Just something that I overlooked. I was in the process of cleaning up Lucius's home. As you remember, it was pretty ransacked, and it had been hit pretty hard by someone else trying to find something. And I was collating and organizing all of his scrolls, his books, his paperwork, and I thought I had gotten everything, but then when I found that it came and it took a specific parchment, that there must have been something that I had overlooked. Mm. I'm sorry I can't give you more information than that. That's okay. We have a point to start at, at least. Is there any other questions that perhaps you would have for me? Theron asks. Are you a snake person? (laughs) Art's so (laughs) nervous. I love it. (laughs) I'd like to point out that Aaron said Theron's name wrong, too. It's not just me. (laughs) I heard it, too. I back you up, Colleen. (laughs) That's it. That's how you do it, Colleen. That's how you do it. That's the running (laughs) joke, Colleen. I was patiently waiting to say that. She's being mean to me again. (laughs) (laughs) That was Colleen being mean to Aaron, not Iridanza being mean to Arden. Like to point that out there. It never ends. (laughs) (laughs) Whether it's tabletop or real life, it's all the same. That's it. (laughs) Alrighty, so what would you guys like to do? What was the name of the area where the rooms were rented? The Old City. He called it the Olden City, but you guys have heard it called the Old City. If you guys recall, the Old City is the middle section of Freeport. It is actually the section of the city that was the original city, and then it's expanded over time to be what it is now. The Old City is the section of the city that, if you guys recall from the one or two times that you passed through there, It is surrounded by these big, massive wooden walls, and it has guards around it. That's where the Sea Lord's Palace is, and where the courts and the different things of that nature. Well, I guess we should take a trip to the old city, maybe see what the nightlife is like out there. I do have one more question. Of course. Devlin, what type of merchant was he? He would clarify that Devlin was a merchant who dealt in sand and gravel and things of that nature. Is there anything else you guys want to do with Egil and with Theron, or do you guys want to make your way into the city? 
I think we can make our way into the city. Would Falthar's shop still be open? Or did, when I left, did he close up? Yeah, he was basically implying with the way he would dismiss you that he was pretty much closing up. He was closing early, uh, okay. it seemed like. He would normally be open till about 7 or so, but definitely the tone he gave was that he was closing up when he dismissed you. Do I know in my dealings with Nell of where she likes to hang out, like outside of work? Yeah, she is actually, as I mentioned, she's an aspiring bard. And so she tries to frequent a couple of different taverns trying to make a name for herself. I'm just wondering if maybe one of the taverns she goes to is in the Old City. I could meet up. You do know that she goes to a tavern in the Old City that is called the Green Liar. Well, hey guys, I think I have a contact in the Old City. And maybe we could meet up with her. She might know something. Maybe she's seen this, uh, I'm going to put in quotations, Devlin, the struggling merchant. So what do you guys say? Yeah. No, I'm following right behind. The four of you stand and leave Theron's office, leaving Egil behind. The door shuts behind you, and then you guys make your way across the atrium, and you get to the front doors of the Temple of Knowledge. And they close right as you guys exit out into the night. It is a nice, brisk evening. Nice for summer. A little cool, but not bad. And you guys begin to make your way towards the Old City. So you guys travel in a east by southeasterly fashion, and you come to those large wooden walls, the old city. Now, although there are walls here, there's not gates per se. You do see that the guard towers are being manned as they usually are. The five wooden posts that rise up above the city and overlook it to make sure that there's no shenanigans at this time of night. So you guys enter into the northwestern gate and make your way down through the main road. You cut a wide berth from the Fortress of Justice, the seat of the courts and of the legal system of Freeport. Nisha, even now, it still gives you a slight feeling of trepidation as you move past it with your history with Sea Lord's men. Nisha will put her cloak up. The night is nice. There's a couple of people out, as there typically are. And you guys get closer to where Victor knows that the Green Liar is. You can see that there is a little bit more of a genial tone. The old city seems to be the most stuffy part of the city of Freeport. But this little section where the taverns and inns are seems to be at least a little bit more welcoming. As you guys are approaching up to a single-story building that has a green flag hanging in the front of it that has a golden lyre upon the front of it, there is a man standing outside the front door. He is a half-elf in his features. He's good-looking. He's got wavy brown hair. He nods to you all. Maybe he's a bouncer of some sort. You're not sure. But you guys make your way and get up to the front entryway of the Green Liar. Everybody, please make a perception check. 14. Ooh. I got a 20. I got a 2. 14. Victor, you note that there is a very distinct individual just out of sight of most people, lurking about and watching the front door of the Green Liar. Most would not notice the man half-hidden in shadows, but with your half-elven senses, you noticed the unmistakable form of Reichert Lloyd. He has not approached any closer than the about 100 feet away he is, and as the four of you begin to enter in, he slowly turns and drifts back into the shadows. How lovely. 
and with potential answers in front of you as to what might be transpiring within the city of Freeport, the new threat against the Temple of Knowledge brought forth to you by Theron and Egil. Riker Lloyd, you will come to learn, is just the beginning of your problems here within the city of Freeport, as another force watches your moves and draws ever closer into drawing you into the greater conspiracy that lurks beneath the surface of the city. This concludes our episode for today. Thank you for listening to the Game Night Heroes. The tale continues another time. This was Freeport, Episode 11, Another Night, Another Mystery. Please subscribe and give us a review. It helps new listeners find us and take the journey along with you and with us. We can be found on all social media at Game Night Heroes. Please be sure to follow us for updates and for new information. We can also be found at GameNightHeroes.com. The Game Night Heroes is hosted and game mastered by Kevin Stacy. Victor Reed is played by Rob Alexander. Iradonzo Orame is played by Colleen Alexander. Arden Langalar is played by Aaron Regner. Nisha Lycoania is played by Brittany Stone. The Freeport Trilogy was created and published by Chris Premus and Green Ronin Publishing. Logo design and podcast cover art for the Game Night Heroes was created by Josh K. Music is from various artists and appears from Pixabay. Please feel free to message us at GameNightHeroesContact at gmail. We'd love to hear from you. This has been a presentation of the Game Night Heroes. Until next time, keep dreaming your impossible dream. guess my question is never mind no go ahead no i figured it out in my head i'm good okay no worries is there anything you'd like to share with the group no maybe it's the fact that she's a snake person in disguise do you want to get smacked i'm pretty sure arden's a snake person in disguise with the number of turnips he eats actually maybe it's the turnips that ward them away so arden just keep eating all those turnips and you'll be fine that's what a snake person would say. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Hey, did you like what you just heard? Well, if so, you can also journey into the realm of Freeport by visiting greenroninstore.com. There you can find all of your Freeport needs and all of the different adventures, supplements, and rule sets that you'll need to vanquish the forces of the Far Realm in a pirate town once gone legit. Form your own adventures at greenroninstore.com. Use our affiliation code GKHERO to save on your purchase. Thanks for listening.